Hello friends, welcome to Tech Humanity. I'm your host, Tony Kashani. This is a weekly podcast where we examine the intersection between technology and humanity. In the 21st century, the so-called digital age, ones and zeros tend to determine much of what we call reality. Do you ever question the nature of your reality? Do you ever wonder how new technologies, things like social media, apps for humanistic ideas, and so on, shape your consciousness? Are we in charge of technology, or is technology in charge of us? Will singularity become a reality, and AI become the new creator, competing directly with the metaphysical God? These are some of the ideas and questions that I examine in this program. Today, I want to talk to you about metrics and how the business of analytics, big data generating numbers is transforming our society and many others like it. But first, a story. Today, I want to talk to you about the myth of Pandora's box. Yes, we are returning to Greek mythology once again. So let's begin. Although the protagonist of this story is the beautiful maiden Pandora, we have to begin with Epimetheus, who was Prometheus' brother. Remember Prometheus, who was punished by Zeus for bringing the gift of fire to mortals? Anyways, Epimetheus was known for his unique wisdom, and he never angered Zeus or any other gods. Appreciating his wisdom and kindness, Zeus decided to send Epimetheus a beautiful companion by the name of Pandora. Pandora arrived in the chariot of the lady Aphrodite, remember her? And stood in the grand doorway entrance of Epimetheus's palace to greet him upon his return from the fields. They immediately liked each other. Epimetheus was wise and generous, and Pandora kind and beautiful. What a combination. Pandora had a curious mind, and a bit mischievous, though very kind and innocent at the same time. The gods had sent a special gift along with Pandora. It was a very sturdy box, and yet aesthetically pleasing. Nicely done. On the lid, there was an inscription that read, Open not the box until the gods shall so decree. Pandora had the impulse to open the box, but upon bringing it inside the palace, Epimetheus begged her to never open it. Though she was welcome to see it any time and enjoy its beautiful artistry and design, just like you would do with a painting. Pandora honored this. Pandora enjoyed very much looking at the box, admiring it in its unique design. Needless to say, the mystery of the box was tantalizing to her, a source of constant temptations. What was in the box? The curious Pandora dreamt of opening the box and seeing the marvelous content inside. After all, it was from the gods, so it must be marvelous. 
But every time the temptations gained strength, she reminded herself of Epimetheus's warning and could not disappoint the kind and wise Epimetheus. However, one morning, when Epimetheus had gone to the fields and was not to return until sunset, Pandora found, by happenstance, a key, a uniquely designed key that looked like it went with the box. She thought to herself, what harm can it do if I just put the key in the lock and see if it fits? Sure enough, with a quick click, the key slid into the lock. It was a perfect fit. Was this fate? Was she meant to find the key? Could it harm anyone or anything if she just peeped inside? Just a quick peep? So the temptations won the day. And Pandora raised the lid ever so gently. Suddenly, with the slightest opening, many, many tiny and beautiful creatures flew out of the box. They fluttered about the palace for a bit and then floated out into the fields, disappearing from the palace altogether. Pandora quickly shut the lid down and hoped desperately that not all of the lovely and mysterious creatures had escaped. Perhaps there were many still in the box. She became saddened and cried and cried and dreaded Epimetheus's return. She had disappointed him. Some time passed and it all seemed like an eternity. The silence was heavy and Pandora felt as though she was in an abyss, an abyss so unbearable. What have I done? She thought to herself. Suddenly, a tiny voice coming from the inside of the box cried, Pandora, Pandora, open the box and let us out. Pandora, curious again, raised the lid once again. And right there at the edge of the box were sitting two tiny and lovely beings who with a collective voice said, Foolish little Pandora, you have not prized the blessings which the gods sent you. Else you would have guarded them more carefully. They have flown away. But we will stay with you. We are love and hope, but it will take much patient effort, little Pandora, to bring back the blessings to humankind. Upon return and learning what had happened, Epimetheus became very sad. He said, somewhat accepting his share of the responsibility to this mischief, Pandora, we have offended the gods by holding their commands so lightly. We must now strive to regain the blessings, for if they come not to us, they will never be a gift to mortals. So Pandora intended and worked very hard on becoming very patient and earnest, earnest in everything that she did. And one by one, the blessings came back. And as she grew older and wiser, the blessings stayed around, hovering around her mostly, bringing happiness 
to all who associated with Pandora. Love and hope were not lost, and they helped Pandora. Now onto our discussion about metrics. We seem to be wanting to quantify everything these days. That is to say, social phenomena from education to health, to sports, to politics, to history, to psychology, and even friendships and romantic relationships are increasingly measured, described, analyzed, and influenced by numbers. To be sure, numbers serve a vital function in many facets of our lives. For example, knowing one's blood pressure is a good idea. Maybe you're in good health, or maybe you need pharmaceutical treatment to bring your blood pressure to a level that is healthy and useful. The numbers are great indicators in that sense. So quantification of things are not bad if they're in proper context. But can we go too far with metrics? That is to say, can quantification get perverted? The use of new indicators, numerical notations to identify, describe, and evaluate individuals once normalized and, and become a society's modus operandi, then it can be argued that society transforms from a humanistic social to a machine-like metric. Can data alone define us? Can data, I mean numbers, uh, tell the world who we are, how we think, what our behavior is and will be like? Can data define what others think of us? How they see us? Should a society, in the name of efficiency and optimal utilitarianism, make us happy and well-balanced human beings living in a healthy and egalitarian society? Again, uh, let me stress, don't get me wrong. Analytics are good for certain things. The medical field, the sports, and economics benefit greatly from the technology that in turn uh, helps us thrive. Uh, but is there, are there limits to this stuff? Or as the high-tech solutionists like to think, there are no limits and we can make an app for just about every problem and make it work as a solution. Many of today's technologists also think that everything can and should be measured. Can any solution be possible without numbers? That's a good question to ask, I think. Well, the high-tech priests don't think so. Well, if I'm sad, can I download a happiness app? If I want to talk to my coworkers about last night's basketball game while at work, you know, take a little break, uh, even discuss the, the statistics. You know, for example, the Warriors played the other night, Steph Curry scored 38 points, he was great, he was in a zone, and that sort of stuff. You know, the humanistic connections that we have with people who work with us. But if my boss has a device that can measure my time and distinguish from the so-called productive time and casual chit-chat, whatever you want to call it, time. And furthermore, 
uh, reprimand me vis-a-vis -vis a weekly report that shows exactly how much time I spent on a project that was supposed to be completed at a certain time or talking to coworkers that took away from the so-called productive time at the office that is and, and tell me that I need to increase my production time otherwise don't let the door hit you on the way out time. What if he or she can actually know how much time I spend in the bathroom during my shift? Let's say I work at the warehouse. There are technologies that can do this for what the 1% the would like to call performance enhancement. And of course, technologists, the technology solutionists, uh, love these kinds of terms too. It kind of gives validity to the kind of amoral work that they may be doing by developing algorithms that generate the outcome that is desired by the bosses. The way I see it, the main objective is to get the most out of each employee and guarantee better capitalization and create a culture of competition. Not competition between businesses. Big corporations don't like competition. They like monopolies. But competition, pitting workers against one another. In fact, companies like Amazon are really uh, in practice of doing this with regularity and what they call maximum efficiency. Of course, what we're talking about here is control. Let me give you another example. In uh, China, which is a state-owned capitalistic society, the government is working on a so-called social credit system program, which they have targeted for full implementation, uh, according to my research, in 2020. That's just around the corner. Under the social credit system, which every Chinese citizen has to participate in, data on individual conduct in every public sphere will be gathered, evaluated, and finally aggregated into a single score. Imagine you go to pick up your suit from the cleaners and happen to frown when you see the bill. Then the dry cleaning person behind the counter grabs a cell phone, brings up your profile, and gives you a negative score that can bring your total score down and that can't be good. Uh, there's a TV series called Black Mirror. Maybe some of the listeners uh, are in the habit of watching it. And there's an episode that actually deals with this very same phenomenon. Uh, of course, it's fiction. But the question is, is it really fiction? Are we too far off from that? Well, it won't be fiction in China. And this society, United States of America, and, and many others like ours, are not too far off from that either. I mean, think about the credit score that uh, American citizens have, right? You are represented by a number, and it's always a mystery of how this number has come about. What sort of program, what sort of uh, factors are put into an algorithm that generates the final credit score of a person, which could you know, uh, present an outcome of a good price, a possibility of buying a car or a house, or not. That's a big deal. 
This affects businesses too. Small businesses rely on Yelp, customer reviews, or they pay into it and get better reviews and they try to game the system and so on and so forth. Big businesses rely on the global scores. But here's a question. Who sets the rules and how do they decide what to put into their equations to generate these scores? What factors are put in there? For example, the world market is pretty much dominated by three major U.S.-based agencies. You might have heard of them. Standard & Poor's, Moody's, and Fitch. Let's call them the big three. They happen to account for over 90% of ratings and are estimated to influence 80% of global capital flow. Between the three of them, they employ somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 staff, many of whom are technologists who know codes and who take directions from the big bosses, saying, well, these are the outcomes we want, so they're able to write algorithms to determine value scores. These scores are fiction, of course, but what in the industry they call credible fiction. This sort of approach, of course, trickles down to the individuals. If numbers can determine economic decisions, why not everything else? Can we become the rats, the famous rats I mean, Skinner's box? Can data determine who we are, how we behave, and predict our future behavior? Hence, turning us into products that can be bought and sold in the marketplace? Companies like Facebook, claim to have as their own main objective to connect the people of the world with one another. What a benevolent goal. Of course, that's a possibility, but in a world where we are the products and the data are fed into a system of machine learning, that is so many different probabilities put into these big computers. Those with big computers have the control, of course, and they determine the rules of data collection, data mining, and how to analyze this data and generate patterns. Patterns that they think can simply control us. They assume we are predictable mice. We will do as we are told, as we are mired into these environments of products and news and different kinds of information that have been selectively and deliberately fed to us. But remember the Pandora's box story? Love and hope decide to stay around. Yes, love and hope are important. They stayed with Pandora, advised her to exercise patience and be earnest in all that she did. Authenticity is important. Do we know what authenticity is anymore? Eventually, for Pandora, the blessings did return, and people who associated with Pandora benefited from it. You see, algorithms are designed and developed to predict the user's behavior and compel the user to continue that behavior or even compel the user to continue and, and, and enhance the kind of behavior that they think uh, would benefit the advertisers, the big corporations, and, and so on. In other words, control once again. But if you do not behave according to predictions, if you're eclectic, 
if you do things backwards, if you don't give all kinds of information that they're asking you to give freely, voluntarily, if you don't get addicted to all the likes and the loves and the shares and all the little quizzes that come along in social media that are meant to collect your data, if you go against the current, then the algorithms will not work. It's at that simple level. It really is. So let's be like Pandora. Let's exercise patience. Let's be earnest. Let's work towards social change. Let's not get addicted to all the likes and so on. Let's turn the tables. More on this in the next episode. Thanks for being here.